This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Lilly Oncology. Hello, I'm Jamie DiPolo, Senior Editor at BreastCancer.org. We're podcasting on location from the 2019 San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. My guest is Dr. Rashmi Murthy, Assistant Professor of Breast Medical Oncology at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. This morning, she presented research on the HER2-CLIMB study, which is looking at using the experimental medicine tucatinib in combination with Herceptin and Zelota chemotherapy to treat people diagnosed with advanced stage HER2-positive breast cancer that was previously treated with Herceptin, Pergetta, and Kedsila. The study is somewhat unique in that people who have brain metastases are allowed to be in the trial. Dr. Murthy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So to to start, could you summarize the results of the study for us? Sure. So um, HER2-CLIMB showed that the addition of tocatinib to trastuzumab and capecitabine um, allowed for patients, for us to control a patient's disease for longer and to improve how long that they lived. Um, Further, we noted that there was a doubling in the response rates of the actual tumors in, throughout the systemic disease. Excellent. And if I remember right, you, you, know, you talked about the response rate, but there was better progression-free survival, which is how long people lived without the cancer growing, and also better overall survival. Is that right? That's correct, yes. So, you know, HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, it remains incurable. So we're not able to make the disease grow, go away. So the best that we can hope for is really to try to um, shrink or at least control the disease for as long as possible with as little toxicity as possible to enable people to continue to have a good quality of life. Okay. And as I said in the intro, this was kind of unique in that people with brain metastases could be in the study. And a lot of studies don't allow that. So could you talk a little bit about why that is and also why your study allowed people with brain mets to be in it? So you're very right in that, you know, many studies exclude patients with brain metastasis. Um, You know, this patient population has a very poor prognosis, and currently the most effective treatments that we have are local therapies. So often patients are recommended to undergo, for example, radiation or surgery, um, depending upon what their doctors feel would be the best choice, and then pursue a systemic treatment option, either a standard one or on a clinical trial, to help control their systemic disease. HER2-CLIMB was unique in that, you know, with tocatinib, we have both preclinical as well as early clinical data to suggest that tocatinib has a potential to cross the blood-brain barrier. And so HER2-CLIMB wanted, when it was designed, the idea was to confirm, um, you know, that concept and, and see if we can enlist benefits from this drug in patients both with and without brain metastases. Okay, and it was, if I'm remembering right, too, it was about 48 to 50 percent of the people in the study that had brain metastases? Right, so all patients were required to undergo a brain MRI at study entry, and um, patients with untreated uh, disease were allowed to enroll in addition to patients with treated disease that was progressing. Um, And so overall, the brain metastasis patient population was nearly 50% of the whole trial population. And among those, about 40% in both arms had either untreated or progressing lesions. Um, The rest of the patients had a history of brain metastases that was found to be stable at the time of screening. Okay, okay. 
Now, what about side effects? That's something that we always focus on at breastcancer.org because even if a treatment is amazing, if the side effects are toxic, it's maybe not that great. So I know you said that the side effects seem to be manageable. Could you talk a little bit about what the most common ones were and maybe what the most severe were? Right, so I've been involved in um, treating patients with ticatinib since the early phase 1b study. And, you know, um, definitely in the randomized trial, it was very difficult to decide which patient was on placebo versus ticatinib because the side effects were very comparable um, and, and it was difficult to determine who was really getting the study drug. So the most common side effects um, were diarrhea, uh, hand-foot syndrome, which is a very common side effect well recognized to be associated with cupcitabine. And that's where people have pain, it like peripheral neuropathy or? Um, so hand-foot syndrome is where you can get um, peeling of your hands and feet and almost an inflammation on, on the palms and the soles of your hands and feet. Okay. Um, and so uh, that was the second most common side effect. Others included um, nausea, vomiting, and fatigue. Okay. Uh, diarrhea is certainly a side effect of interest. Now, I think in your study you said that um, sort of an anti-diarrhea medicine up front wasn't part of the HER2-CLIMB study, but maybe that's a possibility if people are being treated with it. Is that, did I understand that right or no? So um, antidiarrheal prophylaxis was not required on the study. So okay. meaning that we didn't give medications to try to lessen or prevent diarrhea at the beginning of the study. Um, but antidiarrheal use was allowed on study in order to help manage and control the diarrhea. And what we found is that it's very, very manageable. Um, so we're able to control the diarrhea and with short courses, really, of antidiarrheals that were noted in both arms, and that, those were comparable. So it was about a median of three days of antidiarrheal use um, that helped to control the side effect. Okay. So it was very manageable. Okay. Do you think um, treating the diarrhea up front would be a good idea, or is it really better to wait until it happens? Well, because it was very manageable to take care of as it happened, um, you know, I would continue to probably approach it that way rather than asking you know all patients who are going on these treatments to be taking an additional medication on top of what they're already having to take. Okay that makes sense and in your presentation this morning you talked about um, that it looked like prolonged treatment with tucatinib was possible. Could you talk a little bit about what that might mean for patients? Well, one of the concerns in the setting of having advanced breast cancer is when will the toxicity of all these drugs catch up to you? And so th this is uh, certainly a heavily pretreated patient population who had had pr has had prior treatment with trastuzumab, pertuzumab, chemotherapy, and TDM1. And so, um, you know, the fact that this regimen with tocatinib was very tolerable is very important because it means that as long as the treatment is working, we're able to continue the treatment, which is import, very important when there are limited treatment options. We want to try to continue treatments that are working for as long as possible. Okay. Now, do you know, I realize you are not with the pharma company, but is are there plans to file for FDA approval for tocatinib that you know of? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, with these uh, very, very promising and impressive trial results, certainly the next step would be to um, move forward with the processes to try to get the drug approved. Okay. And finally, to wrap up, now, do you think tucatinib is going to change the standard of care for advanced stage HER2-positive disease? Do you, do you, is it, like, is that, are these results that big? I think these results are practice changing. We have yet to see uh, a randomized trial show a sur survival benefit in a patient population who has had all of the contemporary anti-HER2-targeted therapies, trastuzumab, pertuzumab, and TDM1. So yes, I think this is certainly practice changing and will change the standard of care. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you.